0: have a guest on tips from the top floor today don Komarechka is back to talk about his latest book and in the process i'm sure you'll learn a thing or two about some of the craziest macro photography that i've ever seen this is tips from the top floor 871 for july 11th 2019 tips from the
1: top from the top floor tips from the top
0: welcome it's chris marquardt you're listening to tips from the top floor and uh yeah here we are (laughs) Uh, i've had a bit of time to relax but you know honestly (laughs) i'm still all hyper because of the chinese translation of the wide angle book Uh, yeah it just blows my mind that something that i wrote is now translated into two other languages that's just wild (sighs) anyway um, i'm not much of uh housekeeping today um let's get right into it today i have a guest on the show who has been here before it's don komareczka from canada Uh, i had him here before and i was also on his podcast on photo geek weekly before uh don is yeah he's just a great source of interesting photo experiments he loves to tinker but not just that Uh, i you know i know i know people who tinker but they never have any any results from it but he has the results to share and to show and what's even more important he loves to share what he does he he's done like he has his podcast he has a lot of stuff on youtube and so on um but he's just about to bundle a lot of that together into a product um and uh i i think from all i've heard and from knowing don this is going to be one of the biggest treasure troves for those of you who want to learn more about macro photography, uh, and in in form of a book, that is. And the Kickstarter campaign for that book is almost over. But I thought, before it's finished, I will give you all the chance to learn a bit more about what's going to be in this book. And I guess (laughs) there's a good chance we'll also learn something about macro photography in the process. So the other day I talked to Don, and here we go.
1: Let me... Let me roll the tape, so welcome back, Don. How are you? I am wonderful, Chris. Thanks for having me back on your show. I know you've been traveling a lot, so it's been uh, good to nail down a time together
0: <laughs> and you're no you're no stranger here on the show. You've been here several times before. Um, just as a reminder uh you we talked about your snowflakes uh, photography. We talked about your ice pictures, your frozen bubbles, your ultraviolet photography um so, the, the crazy professor is
1: back, so to speak. <laughs> the mad scientist, as it were, which I take as a compliment.
0: <laughs> that's that's what, I, what I meant it as. Um, so, yeah, uh, I have you here on the show because um, you have another project going on right now, which is exciting. And it's going in a very exciting direction right now. Uh, You have a Kickstarter for a new book out. And um, before we dive into that, just a reminder to everyone, um, or not a reminder, an announcement to everyone, that this is very short notice because it's almost over. When this show comes out, it's just a few more days until the Kickstarter is over. So I hope this will still give you a bit of a boost. But what is the book about?
1: So uh, macro photography, I've I've always kind of referred to as uh, the universe at my feet, because there's just so much to explore, even in your own backyard. I know, Chris, you and I like to travel to some exotic locations on occasion and uh, and sort of put ourselves out of our element. But you can get exactly that same kind of rush uh, just by getting close to bugs and flowers oh, and exploring yes. snowflakes in the wintertime with unending detail, and it just always seems like the closer you get, the more there is to explore. And uh, so uh, I did a, a book previously we've talked about years ago when I was uh, you know pushing that out called Sky Crystals. And it was just on snowflakes. Yeah. And, and that was uh, crowdfunded as well. Huge success. And I sold out. Uh, I'm completely sold through the production run now. So I figured it was high time to put a book together on macro photography in general, the um, the uh, simple basic stuff, you know, if you're just uh, getting into it, you know, how you handle a lens, how you deal with focus and lighting and that sort of thing, all the way through to master classes in the obscure, in uh, everything from ultraviolet to high voltage and 3D photography, just the weird stuff macro, and macro the sta- 3D. Oh, it's so much fun! Uh, <laughs> if you've never, if you've never tried, then how, uh, how there you, will be. How
0: do you get two lenses so close together?
1: So there's a couple of ways you can do it. There was a company out of uh, the Netherlands, uh, DeWidges. They made—I'm probably butchering the pronunciation— but uh, they made uh, a series of macro lenses for uh, full-frame and crop sensor SLRs where they would have two lenses inside the same barrel. No way! And and they would have a a septum, a divider, that would go as far back as it possibly could uh, without hitting the mirror. It was designed before uh, mirrorless. And so, you would have half of your sensor for your left eye, half of your sensor for your right (laughs) eye. That is interesting. And they they made them in different magnifications. They're they're hard to get now, but um, you can simply, uh, if you're a macro photographer, you might own a focusing rail, and it's a very common tool that will shift the camera forward and backward ever so slightly uh, to make your focus uh, a little bit, uh, you know, tack sharp on the eye of an insect or on the stamens of a flower or something. However... If you use that focusing rail sideways, you can then gently move the camera in a left to right motion. Where so long as you have a static subject, uh, you can take uh, you know one image, then move the camera uh, five centimeters to the right and take another image, or even further, depending on how much of a parallax you're looking for. And I've done some macro that way as well, and it works wonders. That is
0: that is cool. It re- reminds me of a of a guy who. Um, who I met on a workshop um, who showed me 3D photos that his father had taken from the World Trade Center while it was being built Wow! in New York. So so what he did is he put a hard hat on and just snuck on the construction site. And then he went and took uh, independent photos on different ends of the building because with this big of a scale, he... Wanted the 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 eye distance to be really far, so and it, it
1: would feel like you're a giant looking down it made, at the city. Exactly,
0: and and he brought these these printed out three D things that you put in a little viewer, and it made you feel like you are King Kong. It was amazing. So with macro, you have to to get them really close together, right?
1: Yeah, and, and so the I've got a number of different uh, dedicated lenses for it, but uh, so long as your subject is uh, is within the stereo window, which means that um, uh, you're going to have some shift from the left and the right, but so long as part of your subject isn't cut off on one eye, which would create a visual artifact when you're viewing right. it, um, and uh, so you can shift as much as you can get without having to cut off your subject on <laughs> one side or the other.
0: Sorry for the interruption. We'll continue this discussion right after this. Let me say a quick little thank you to this week's sponsor, HoneyBook. You know, if you run your own business, you're used to doing it all. But if if you're struggling to get through your to-do list, HoneyBook can help. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, your bookings, your contracts and invoices All in one place. HoneyBook makes it simple to run your business better. Professional templates, e-signatures and built-in automation keep everything on track. And HoneyBook can even consolidate services you already use, like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, MailChimp and Gmail. It's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. Save time and do more of what you love with honeybook right now honeybook is offering you the listeners of tips from the top floor 50 percent off your first year with promo code top floor yeah that's five zero percent payment is flexible in this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually go to honeybook.com and use promo code top floor for 50 percent of your first year that's honeybook.com promo code top floor and on with the discussion
1: uh, but, I mean, that's just one small part of the book. If I'm writing, uh, this book's going to be 352 pages, I have the ability to go down every rabbit so, hole. And self-publishing allows me to do that.
0: <laughs> it's also dangerous. <laughs> um, so so when you did uh, the sky crystals um, about snowflake macro photography, that was very specialized. Now you opened it up to, yeah, pretty much anything that goes under that umbrella of macro photography.
1: I have some uh, some really interesting things here in studio that I'll be uh, you know shooting for the book, uh, including uh, micrometeorites uh, that uh, a colleague of mine has sent me. Uh, and you know, I am looking at all of these bits and pieces that I'm putting together into this project and uh, and I think this is going to be a a wonderful uh, tome of knowledge for any macro photographer out there, but also, If you don't have access to things like micrometeorites, you can still learn all of the techniques required. and you could use grains of sand, right? Grains of sand or, uh, you know, grains of pollen for that matter.
0: Very cool. So, uh, just just looking at the trailer, um, there's like a lot of stuff... With water droplets, there's plants oh, yes. in there. There's insects. There's.
1: Have you ever done water droplet refraction photography,
0: uh, Chris? Well, I've done this on a bigger scale with uh, with with the, with the usual glass glass balls. But um, doing this on a macro level, no, I haven't tried that
1: yet. It's a lot of fun because you can place those droplets very specifically using a small plastic pipette or yes. a hypodermic needle. And uh, you can create these mini sculptures. So you're where, doing set,
0: set building on a very tiny scale.
1: Yeah, you you become a sculptor before a photographer. You have to build something interesting to photograph and then you have to get the camera involved afterwards. And now, uh, now, One it, thing you see often there is like
0: the background being some landscape or a building or a flower or something that then is out of focus in the, in the background, but it's in focus in the, in the little water droplets. Um, just wondering, on, on your photos, are those real flowers? Are those printouts of flowers? Is that
1: They are all real flowers. They Although, are, okay. I mean, I could have faked it with, with prints, but I found it easier to use just the real ones. Uh,
0: if, uh, if you have a fresh, good-looking one, yes, but if, you, if it takes a while <laughs> to set all this up, you might have a wilting flower there.
1: Well, you pick uh, you pick flowers typically from the florist, and uh, if they if they wilt within a few minutes, then you definitely did not get fresh you need flowers. A different florist, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Gerbera daisies or any radially symmetrical flower works best for this mm-hmm. uh, because they'll fill in the droplet very very nicely, and um, you just put it at uh, a couple of inches to uh, uh, to maybe a little bit further away if it's a large flower like a sunflower. And uh, it gives you that nice, soft, out-of-focus background that comes tack-sharp into those droplets, like little crystal balls. Yeah. And I actually have some crystal balls here. There's one sitting on my desk that I'm looking at as we, uh, as we chat that's uh, orders of magnitude larger. Um, but uh, you, can, you can easily substitute in, um, they call them water beads, which you may have seen in flower arrangements where they put in these little uh, beads. They're tiny little, uh, oh, little pebbles. Oh, beads, yeah. And then they grow as they absorb the water, and then they'll end up having the same refractive index as the water itself. Oh, they
0: are—they're not made from glass. They are. they not gel. made from glass. Some gel kind of thing. Some kind of gel thing. And
1: uh, so, if you if you don't want to get into the really small droplets, you can make your own that are four <laughs> or five times larger uh, than a regular water droplet could be. And so, there's tons of little fun tricks around this stuff.
0: That is wild. So, um, lots of different topics you cover there. What are Kind of some some of the, let's say some of the interesting technical issues that you had to solve to, to get into these things.
1: Well, as soon as you start getting closer and closer to uh, to your subject, uh, anybody in the macro photography world that's even dipped their toe in the water would realize that your depth of field becomes much shallower. The closer Pretty much you disappears. are, disappears. Pretty much uh, a fraction of a millimeter once you get like right on top of a subject at some extreme magnifications. And there's no real way around that, uh, because at least in camera, you can't uh, set your aperture to, say, f96 and try to uh, compensate for that uh, shallow depth by making a smaller aperture using standard logic that would, you know, increase your depth. And you'd kind of go back and forth on that. But diffraction comes into play where um, if we put our science hat on for a minute, uh, which I love to do with photography, if we could imagine... Um, Chris, in in high school or in college, did you ever play with a ripple tank? Uh,
0: nope, never. What is it? Uh,
1: a ripple tank is just this uh, small little box of water. It's uh, just flat, not very thick. And you make waves and see how those waves interact with objects mm, within okay. the tank. And uh, my point is if you have a wave of water that is moving forward and there's a small opening, the water that passes through that opening is curved on the other side. True. And this is diffraction. And the same thing happens when light passes through uh, our lens, Uh, regardless of how big your aperture is, this always happens to some degree. If you have a very wide aperture, it's going to be almost unnoticeable. But the smaller your aperture, the further light will bend off course from the pixel or the photosite on the sensor that it should be hitting. And if it passes uh, across a certain threshold, it'll really start coloring outside the lines. And light that should be hitting one pixel is maybe hitting a grid of nine pixels. And so your resolution goes down very, very quickly as soon as you start to use apertures uh, that are too small. So what do you do about that? (laughs) <laughs> what do you do? Uh, you you suffer through the very shallow depth of field in a single shot, yes. uh, and instead you take multiple photographs at ever so slightly different focus points. Uh, such that there's a little bit of overlap between them and they can be combined together in a process called focus stacking. And I've written tutorials uh, on this before and uh, I've even done some uh, videos on YouTube where you can watch me you know, putting these images together. But even as technology improves, there's newer ways to approach this. Um, I'm shooting with the, uh, the Lumix S1R right now, which has a high resolution mode of uh, 187 megapixels, I think. Uh, Which is ridiculous. I'd never need that for most of my uh, everyday work. In fact, my cameras before this were 20 megapixel cameras, and that was fine. But what if, in this scenario, you've got a static subject. It's not like there's an ant or something moving around. uh, And the camera can be on a tripod. What if you are intentionally farther away from your subject? So that you know that your subject will be about 20 of those 187 megapixels within the frame and you crop into that afterwards well by the virtue of you being farther away you've inherently given yourself Mm. a much greater depth of field without hitting any limits of diffraction okay one
0: last interruption before we get to the rest of this interesting discussion this episode is also supported by Nations Photo Lab. This spring refresh your wall decor and get 15% off with Nations Photo Lab. Start with classic photo prints made by photographers for photographers available in more than 60 sizes. So you can print as small as 3.5 by 5 or as large as 30 by 45. If you have photos that are more akin to museum-quality artwork, print on canvas to create a scene of decor that belongs in the louvre. To ensure your images look as vibrant as can be, try their best-selling metal prints or if you have more of a down-to-earth vibe, put your images on wood print wraps, printed on real wood for a rustic, unique look. Don't limit your wall decor dreams. Create a gallery wall the way you imagine by mixing and matching different wall art mediums. Ordering online is easy so you can turn your Instagrams into instant memories that will last for years to come. Make every moment matter. Try Nations Photo Lab today and head to nationsphotolab.com. Use code TOP15. That's T O P154. 15 thats top one five four fifteen 15 percent off your order. That's Nationsphotolab.com. Code Top15. All right, on with the discussion.
1: Uh. And so, as technology pushes forward, you know, there's always these aha moments when uh, a new camera feature or uh, you know option within the menus that uh, might not be useful in most cases can uh, can help you problem solve. Interesting.
0: So uh, let's let's talk about the, the the whole process of making that book itself. Um you're, you've done a Kickstarter to finance that. What what is going to be financed with the Kickstarter and um, How's that process look? Because I've never done one
1: of those. So it's, uh, it's expensive to print a book, uh, and a lot of people don't realize exactly how expensive that is. Well, especially if you uh, want
0: amazing paper, great, great quality in general. That's, yeah, we're using
1: cheap. the best quality materials at this stage of the game. Uh, it's going to be the same footprint as my previous book, about nine inches square, uh, a few more pages, of course, and printed here in Canada. Uh, anything printed outside of China is also inherently much, much more expensive. True. Um, but I'll be able to be uh, at... The press facility while it's being printed and be able to sign off on everything, knowing that it's going well. So that there's cost involved in that and shipping. People don't realize how expensive uh, shipping a book from Canada to uh, Indonesia or any of these or other to Germany. You
0: know, the paper is heavy. Yes. <laughs>
1: paper is heavy. So uh, about a third of the the funds that I've collected so far have been associated just to logistics. Um, And, you know, it's funny. The first time I had done a book, I realized right from the beginning that no publisher would have published it because it was too niche and obscure. And uh, I went on uh, exhaustive, detailed rants about snowflake physics that I... Any publisher would just say, <laughs> absolutely no, this is going to be a, you know, a 70-page soft cover pocketbook that's going to cost us, you know, 25 cents a copy to produce. Um, so I get to take the risk, and I know that I've sort of developed an audience, and uh, if that audience was interested in having this book produced, I had to hit a minimum threshold of around $30,000 in order to print about 1,000 copies. Um that would uh, I'd still have to pay into that myself. I'd probably be at around forty five thousand in terms of total uh, investment, but at least I knew at that point there wouldn't be as much of a risk. That's Canadian dollars. That's Canadian dollars, yeah. Uh we uh we hit the initial funding goal after a day and a half. That's crazy. That is, crazy. Uh, that is uh, so of a 45 crazy. day campaign. And I, I was just stunned because you and uh, you and I both do this chris we We give away all of our knowledge for free in the forms of podcasts and and posts online and all of that, and then, when you ask people to pay for it in the form of a workshop or a book, uh, people are more than happy to offer you money to learn from you in in a different format and uh, This has been true so far of the book and i 've just been. I I mean, I want to offer—I'm sure some people that listen to your podcast have already pledged for it, and I want to say sincere thank you so much for supporting uh, at this point. Um, And basically, it allows me to pour more money into the project so that I can print more copies of the book. And uh, then my real profit comes from selling those, having already hit the break-even point. So that's, that's the best-case scenario for a Kickstarter campaign.
0: So the, the overfunding, um, will that also result in a different quality, in different paper?
1: Yeah, I've, uh, I've done some research into the highest quality papers. There's uh, uh, ISO ratings, not uh, in terms of sensor sensitivity, but uh, in terms of what it actually stands for is International Standards Organization. Uh, ISO ratings for paper brightness, and about as bright as you can get for paper is 96 on that scale. And so we'll be using 96 brightness paper. Awesome. Uh, I couldn't even find anything better than that. So it's like the best you could possibly, uh, possibly get. And I'm debating whether or not to to do 80-pound or 100-pound paper um, based on just how much heavier it's going to make the book for shipping. It's kind purposes. of ahead
0: of shipping, yeah. So, one thing I'm I'm, I'm personally interested in, because uh, I've also been through the process of making books, even though uh, most of them I did with a publisher who, who, who just took a lot of work um, that I, I dreaded, so it was a good combination. Less control, of course, then. But um, I would like to just briefly touch on the, on the writing process because you have these two different areas in the book. The one is, um, well, let's say three different things. First of all, you, you need to find a good structure for the whole thing. Um, and th- that, for me, always takes almost longer than the actual writing to make sure it really has a good flow. Uh then the second thing is the actual writing of the book. Um which is a lot of sitting down and getting your thoughts into something that, yeah, it's, uh, that works for for the readers. And the third is then the photos. And I guess you will not just um, take photos that you've already taken. You will also produce new material for the book. So which, which I've been doing, yeah. Which of those are, are kind of your favorites? Where where is? <laughs> which are the most difficult?
1: I think you uh, hit the nail on the head with the most difficult part is establishing flow. Uh you yeah. know, I, in fact, I, I'll start writing the the preface of the book without having any page layouts, uh which I already have done it. I mean it's it, it, of course it'll be revised as uh, as the book is completed. But uh the initial design, the flow, will probably change five or six times. Uh, you know, once or twice while things are being built, and then uh, another one or two times once everything has been written and I just have to shuffle stuff around, rewrite things, and then reread the entire thing to make sure that stuff that I mentioned is in the right place. And um, that's the hardest part. The most fun element is... Uh, you know, building up a shot list of some images that I haven't taken, but I still need to, uh, just to cover off some of the niche areas or to illustrate mistakes and to dig through my archive of images that I haven't looked at for a long time to find examples of problems that you will encounter. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things that I I miss uh, when I post on social media, I'm showing my best work. Yeah, that's usually not the pictures you want people to see, the ones that went wrong. Well, you don't want to see them in isolation. You don't want to see the mistakes just standing there on their own. But if you can depict those mistakes and those problems uh, and then offer multiple solutions as to how people can overcome that particular roadblock and you know what each of those solutions affords as an end result. Uh, it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure sort of style then at that point where you get to illustrate problem, solution, and result that uh, yeah, you'll find in some online uh, blogs and, and I've written some articles on uh, petapixel and f-stoppers and things like that that might illustrate it, but in book form you can go into all of the details and lay it out in any way. Which way that you want, with complete freedom.
0: Do you have an uh, like like someone else on board, an editor or someone who's kind of a an independent pair of eyes who keeps you keeps you on the rail, so to speak.
1: Yeah, well, I, I've got a number of people in different uh, disciplines that will help me uh, in terms of when I'm describing physics or biology uh, of certain things, you know, how I can explain how fluorescence works. Well, I mean, I think I know how it works, but I don't have a PhD in uh, in. Uh, in photonics right so i want to make sure that i have people that are more educated than i am to double check everything and uh and evaluate it to make sure that the information is accurate and of course general grammar uh and spell checking i can i can do that well enough myself but you always miss your own mistakes
0: oh proofreading at least five times by five different people and you still find stuff when it's when the print is done,
1: <laughs> yeah, there was there was three typos in my first book, and oh, that's uh, and very it,
0: good. That's that very, was very good, very but good. they
1: still haunt me. I can tell you, I can r- rattle off the exact pages that they're on. I, uh, but uh, I wrote that book in three weeks, and oh. I just put blinders on. I did, the outside world was this, this uh, book the macro not, book? Uh, no, I uh, my sky crystal, my snowflake. Okay. Uh, so it was written in three weeks, and uh, that is crazy and then of course the uh the polish afterwards was probably about another week and a half and sending it off to different uh, review bodies to make sure that uh the information was accurate but uh i think this book will probably take me closer to 2 months to mm-hmm. uh to put everything together the way i would feel most comfortable
0: yeah uh, the, the the 3 weeks is mind-boggling. I, I couldn't do that. I need much more
1: time for, for that. <laughs> that, that, that. That's 12 hours a day, every single okay, day. My now. wife had gone on vacation, uh, and know. she she went back home to, uh, to, to Bulgaria, where she's originally from, to visit family and friends, while I stayed home alone, almost, you know, no lights on in the house except for right in front of the computer. That is where you eat and sleep. Uh, and... Uh, and then the the book was uh, was created from that. Hopefully I'm not as uh, rigid a schedule this time.
0: I I can do 3 to 4 hours a day and then that's it. <laughs> then I'm empty for the day. I need to recharge for the next day. Oh, I envy you for that. That is awesome. So, um it's yeah, as we as I said, the book is only a few more days or the Kickstarter is only a few more days. So, um I I highly suggest, I back this thing, and I highly suggest anyone else to do that, because I know that good things come from you, and uh, this one... And there's
1: no secrets held back, and and I I want people to, to realize that if they've ever read a post of mine on social media, there's... There is like a full written page of text describing every bit of the technique that I can fit into there before I hit that uh, too long didn't read threshold that the internet is known for. Um, but I don't have such a threshold like that when I can when I can write a book and uh, and put that together. So uh, yeah, if if you are uh, at all interested in this, uh, Chris, I'm sure you're going to put a link to it in your show notes. Definitely. Um, but you can also find a big banner on my own website at uh, doncom.ca, donkom.ca, dot C-A.
0: All right, everyone, check it out, and I can't wait for it to be done. What, what's the date? When, when do you think it will be in print?
1: So, I'm hoping that, uh, based on current schedules, that uh, end of October, it is at the, uh, the printer being uh, you know, uh, produced. And then it's uh, in my hands in the uh, middle of November, at which point I feverishly uh, package and ship the books out for a Christmas delivery to everybody around the world.
0: All right. So, let's all keep our fingers crossed and uh, good luck with the whole process. Thanks for coming on the show and
1: put all those links in the show notes. Perfect. Thanks so much for having me on again, Chris. We'll have to uh, we'll have to go down more rabbit holes again next time. I'd love to. All right, <laughs> there we go.
0: Thanks again, Don, for coming on the show. Uh, if you want to get in on Don's book on macro photography, you've got to be quick at the release of this episode. The campaign is almost over. It's just like three more days. So uh, yeah, the link and everything is in the show notes. And that was it for today. Yep, that was it for this episode of Tips from the Top Floor. Thanks again, everyone, for being around. Thanks again, Don, for coming on the show. Uh, Tomorrow, I will, (laughs) nothing to do with photography, I'll head out to Rotterdam in the Netherlands to spend some time listening to Live Jazz, one of the, I guess it's one of Europe's biggest jazz festivals, if not the biggest one. So if you happen to be at North Sea Jazz, maybe, yeah, maybe we'll bump into each other. And of course, as usual, those of you who are who actively support this show you guys deserve to be part of it so here we are with the list of wonderful people over on patreon i'm stalling because i can't find the list here here it is um the Patreons are the patrons are Jeremy Curvin, Jeffrey Block, Alex Crozo, Bernhard Goldbach, Daniel Hertig, Doug Gabbard, Ken Davidson, Marco Binder, Matt Armstead, Peter Morrow, Scott World, Tom Stewart, Aaron Pinasov, Stu Silverman, Alan Bruce Horn, Andrew B. Anthony, Bartek Boski, Chadley Clark, Chandra, Christopher Greenhill, Dave Smith, David Recht, Francesco Scallioni, Greg Anastasi, Holger Krupp, James Trimble, Jim Caldwell, John Donahue, Josh Hopko, Just Me Amr, Ken Barrian. Kyle Nishioka, Marvin Aaron, Michael Grunert, Peter M. Spradling, Rob Duba, Robert Goshko, Ryan Gilio, Sina Fahad, Stephen Sander, Thomas Nielsen, Trevor Palmer, and Woody. Wow. This this time, this went really well. So, uh, again, thank you so much. And um, anyone else, if you guys want to be on this list, hey, you'll, you'll make your name on the show. Consider joining this group of awesome people. You can do that at tfttf.com slash Patreon. Thank you so much. Music for the show by Jeff Smith, Simon partner, Hans-Peter Kager, Publishing and Slack Challenges by Reed's Pixie, Matt, Matt Rusty, Matt no Armstead. Slack Invitations by Chief Invitations Officer, CIO Rusty Rusty. Yeah, go pay that man a visit. Um, get on the Slack, get in touch with others and the link to get on the Slack is in the show notes. And uh, if you can't be bothered to go to the show notes, it's at tfttf.com slash yslack, W-H-Y-S-L-A-C-K. My name is Chris Marquardt. You'll find me on social media at m a r q u a r d t. Go out and take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Of course, be nice to each other. And happy shooting.